With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. The Hawkeye Nation podcast is happy to have Exile Brewing Company as our anchor sponsor based in Des Moines, Iowa, down at 1514 Walnut Street, established in 2012. The 2015 Great American Beer Festival gold medal winner, top 10 best selling new craft beer in the nation for 2015. And you have that in Des Moines, Iowa, available on tap and in bottles throughout the entire state. They brew five year round beers, 10 to 15 seasonal and limited release beers so check them out exile brewing company 1514 wallet street hn podcast with miller and dace brought to you as always by exile brewing company and steve we are uh, deep into the uh, basketball season it's, it's crazy how gosh we're so close to march now and there's five or six regular season games remaining for um you know most of the big 10 teams and it has come. We had, we, had the, we had the NCAA yesterday come out for the first time ever with their Sweet 16 seeds, four weeks until Selection Sunday. We've never had that. So that kind of gives you the idea that you're heading down the home stretch here. Yeah. It, it, it's, um, these games become a little more uh, – a little more – Significance probably not the best word, but there's a little more a little more intensity to them. Um, playing for a little more, just like on Sunday night as we record this, uh, Sunday February the twelfth, you had Northwestern going into Wisconsin, into the Kohl Center where they'd only won one time previously. They were without still one of their best wing players who's been out with mono for the last several weeks. And even earlier this past week, I thought, could Northwestern win just one game down the stretch and miss the NCAA tournament entirely? To where Northwestern, arguably, Steve, had their greatest win in their basketball program's history on Sunday night at Wisconsin. And in my opinion, in barring a one-win stre- uh, you know, performance down the stretch, they're in their first ever NCAA tournament. I agree with you. At the very least, you know, I thought the win they had earlier this year, and I think we talked about it, I came home from the gym, and I'm listening to it on Sirius XM because you know, they're my adopted team this year. Uh, they have uh, – their, te- their fans have suffered enough. I mean, they- they've never been to March Madness. I want to see them do it. They've been – so they were so close several of the last couple of years under Bill Carmody. Uh, we all thought last year was going to be their year under Chris Collins. It didn't work out. So I, I want to see them get it done. And, you know, they had that first win at, at, at Columbus since 1977. But you went on the road in the Big Ten at Wisconsin, a team that has this amazing, what is this, a decade or something that they haven't finished lower than fourth in the Big Ten. It has been in the in the most recent in the in the in the contemporary era of Big Ten basketball. It's the toughest building to win in in this league, and to go in there without one of your best players, your daubers are down. You just lost to an Illinois team that's firing its coach uh, in your last game, and to overcome all that history, and that's the thing, John, that I told you a few weeks ago. I was concerned about that. So many people in the media are Northwestern grads. And you know when they when they when they broke when they broke through in football in '95, 
They came out from behind. You know, Ohio State had Eddie George winning the Heisman. Right. They were ranked in the top five all year. They were a nice story, but nobody thought until the very end of the year when Ohio State lost to Michigan that they were going to the Rose Bowl. But, but there's been talk now pretty much since they lost a couple of games, including one to Butler very narrowly in the non-conference. There has been consistent talk for months now about this being the team that was going to break their glass ceiling. And I did wonder about whether that pressure would mount because so many people in the media are Northwestern grads that that would put an undue amount of pressure on that team. Well, I think they answered all that today. I think that is a March Madness clinching victory, and I'm really happy for them. Yeah, I mean, you look at their law. They're 19-6 and six now with that win. They were 40th in the RPI prior to today's action. They'll probably move. I would guess back into the low 30s after the Wisconsin win. Lost to Butler, who's 25 uh, right now in Ken Pomeroy's rankings. Lost to Notre Dame. Um, the Butler game was a road game. The Notre Dame game was neutral. Notre Dame is 24th in the Pomeroy rankings. Um, they lost to Michigan State on the road. Uh, they lost to Minnesota at home in a close game. And they lost to Purdue on the road. I mean, all those five teams I've just mentioned are NCAA tournament teams as of right now, in my opinion. Well, I mean, Michigan State's probably bubble-ish, but I think they would get in. And then, of course, the home loss to Illinois last Tuesday, which is what made me think, okay, Northwestern could go on a pretty bad losing streak. Yep. Here's I was what, thinking that. Yeah. yeah, here's what they've got the rest of the way. Six regular season games. They're home against Maryland and home against Rutgers. They should beat Rutgers. Um, Illinois away, I, I think they can win that. Indiana away, we'll talk more about them coming up. That's a winnable game. Home against Michigan, although Michigan's been playing pretty good as of late, and then home against Purdue. I, I think probably two wins at worst, two and four, which would get them to 21, and they're in the tournament. And I, I love McIntosh, their point guard. I loved him last year when he was a true freshman, and I was like, oh, man, this guy's going to be a pain in the ass to watch play for a number of years. He is definitely somebody you'd want to have on your team. They, they just, they've got a good-looking team, and that was a great win for them. So we've kind of covered Northwestern. Right now they are ranked 30th in Ken Pomeroy's rankings, and I know you've been messing around with some Pomeroy, looking at Pomeroy's statistics, and I think both of us have a high opinion, a much higher opinion of Pomeroy's methodology than we do the RPI. Well, I think it's more complete. You know, to me the RPI is – the RPI was and remains necessary in terms of schedule setting. And I, I definitely think it, and I've said this all along, we've talked about it in college football. I think they need some kind of objective schedule measurement metric in college football to, to, for, for schools to, to, to schedule by and to remove excuses. You know, So we don't have these conversations in basketball, especially, especially when they went to 68. I mean, nobody has a complaint really anymore. Well, I should re let me rephrase this. A team like Monmouth last year who didn't get in, who played a decent non-conference schedule for a mid-major and then can't help the conference they're in and didn't get in over teams like Syracuse and Michigan because they're not big names, those mid-major schools that aren't draws have legitimate concerns. But anybody who is, a, who is a draw, nobody complains anymore, hey, this team should have been in like they did 20 years ago when you and I were growing up because the RPI has settled that and they've added four extra uh, at-large bids and so really if you can't consistently make the tournament every you know every other year two out of every three years you're just a poor program uh, in terms of being in a power five conference and and they don't have that yet in football but but I, I but I don't think the RPI tells you the whole story and I what I what I would actually do is come up with a if I was on the selection committee I'd come up with a metric that combines Ken Palm with the RPI because I think the RPI 
gives you an idea of the strength of the teams you've played. But what Ken Palm does, especially when you start messing around with the offensive and defensive efficiency numbers, and you look at the trend, and we'll get into this in a second, some of the trends of how accurate Ken Palm has been, it's pretty damn impressive. And, I, and, and so to me, the Ken Palm system, Pomeroy system tells you what the RPI means. It's, it's sort of the Rosetta Stone for what those hieroglyphics, when you look at those computer numbers, what they actually means. As you like to say, it puts some, it puts some flesh on those bones. And its recent track record along those lines is pretty outstanding. Yeah, it is, which is why Iowa got screwed in 2012-2013 um, when they were Pomeroy 29 and didn't make it to the NCAA tournament, and then they went to the finals uh, of the NIT. In looking at Big Ten macro, you know, we talk about home field advantage, home court advantage. What do you think a strong home court winning percentage would be for your conference, a percentage-wise? And you'd say, yeah, this, this seems about right. What would you expect that number to be? You know, I don't know, because there's two ways to look at it, okay? I mean, you know, if you're in the ACC right now, and, and out of their 14 teams, they might have 10 NCAA bids, you know? So, so you, and then, then we've had years where the Big Ten, you know, looked almost that, looked almost that strong. And then you're, if you're in a league that's not that strong, and so every game is literally up for grabs, you know what I'm trying to say? There, there, it really comes down to the overall perception of your conference in terms of what that that home court advantage looks like and then you may have a league where you have several teams at the top that are elite caliber but the teams in the middle at the bottom aren't very good i thought that was true in the big 10 in football this year where i thought the best team the, the teams at the top were as good as anybody at the top in the country i don't think the teams at the bottom though measured up with some of the other stuff uh and the teams in the middle were necessarily that good so uh, i i think john it really comes down to perspective i don't know that you can put an ironclad number on that because you can you can have a competitive road environment for two different reasons one your league's not that good and two it is so would you think the acc's home court advantage then would be therefore stronger or lesser because of the number of quality teams um i i would guess because of the number of quality teams it would i don't know because it depends you know miami can beat north carolina at home and not beat boston college on the road Florida State's been almost unbeatable at home. They finally got a decent road win this past week. You know, Syracuse has been terrible all year, and then in the last month has played as good a basketball as anybody in the ACC. So yeah. I don't know. It, that's that's what makes it so hard. I mean, there's so many games. And, and you know, like when you start – when we were doing this with Northwestern a minute ago, I would not – outside of Rutgers, I wouldn't be WNLing any team in this conference's right. schedule. No, any team. Yes, yeah, you're right. Yeah, you. You. By the way, you're very difficult to trap into a corner. You passed out really well. No. No questionable timeout calls for you. The ACC has the second strongest home winning percentage this year in conference play, at sixty-eight point eight percent, which is a pretty strong number. The Big Ten, um, out of thirty-two conferences, is right in the middle at sixteen where home teams are winning 58.6% of the games. Yeah. So I, I kind of thought that number is a little low. I would have expected it to be higher. But as you just said, and I think I probably – I think I tweeted something along these lines this week, outside of Rutgers, you're really not going to be surprised at anything um, in this league. But like when we get to the NCAA tournament, I could see the Big Ten doing really well in like seven versus ten games, eight, nine games, six, eleven games. You know what I'm trying to say? I 
I don't. I could see them. I, I could see them giving a, a, a three seed in the second round all all the problems that they could muster because that's where I think the strength of the league is. I think the middle of the league is pretty good for in, in terms of what a middle of a league should be. I don't think the top of the league is anywhere near as good as it's been the last no, several years. No, no, no. no it's, and it's I think the bottom close. of the league is actually better. I think Rutgers is bad. But, you know, I don't think I think the, the rest of the bottom of that league is somewhat respectable. Only Nebraska is a respectable team. Yeah. You know, so especially, yeah, especially I mean, when Indiana, Ed Morrow's healthy. Indiana's at the bottom of the league right now, tied for 10th place. They won this league by what? Three games last year, or two games. So, um, you know, I think the bottom of the league is improved, except for Rutgers. I think the middle of the league is really good for for and when I say again, I want to make sure I reiterate that when I say with the middle of the league is good, what you would expect a middle of a power five league to be, I think is good. Right. I think the top of that league, though, is not it doesn't stack up with any of the other power five conferences. And I think that reflects in the NCAA Sweet 16 rankings, which came out yesterday. And when you looked at him, you thought, well, you know, shouldn't Wisconsin be in there? Maybe instead of Butler, well, you know, we found out tonight that the NCAA committee got that one right. Yeah, indeed, and I agree. There, there's just no, there's no elite team in the Big Ten right now. But as we're going to talk about in a second, uh, those times may be changing. You mentioned Indiana, and, and we briefly touched on a few of these things a few weeks back. Um, you know, and you'd pointed out to me that you know Tom Crean had just won the Big Ten last year. I think you know in two of the last four years, Indiana has won the Big Ten conference. Outright, yeah. When you go and you, when you go and look at Indiana's Crean's body of work at Indiana, the first three years were horrible. The first year, obviously, they had some some issues with uh, pe- people leaving the program. Um, yeah, it was a crater. I mean, he, the one thing I saw you tweet about this, I disagreed with. The situation he took over for Indiana was Licklider like. It was that bad. It was a unmitigated. They'd gone through. Is Steve Alford? coming back, Kelvin Sampson, all that other stuff. Um, the, the Mike Davis, who had a decent record, and they ran him out of town. Uh, I mean, it was, it, was, it was an unmitigated disaster. The program had cratered when he took it over. It was Licklider bad. For, 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 well, it was about as close to Licklider bad as Indiana can probably get. Let's put it that way. Yeah, it, it wasn't good um, at all. But if it was Licklider bad, um, you know, I think Indiana got the better of uh, – of Licklider in that first year for for Tom Crean, they were 13 and, and 15 in conference, and, and and they got Iowa. But the the difference is, I think personnel wise, yes, it was it was challenging on the Licklider level. But the difference between Iowa and the program Fran McCaffrey took over, and Indiana and the one Tom Crean took over is. Tom Crean's first recruiting class ranked in the top 10 in the nation. I agree with you, but I also think you have to measure what the tradition and expectations for those programs are. I would say Indiana from an, from a Cadillac program. And I would say in college basketball, that's Kansas, Kentucky, Duke, North Carolina, Indiana, UCLA. And then there's other programs that we have seen become elite ones in our lifetimes, like Arizona, Georgetown, et cetera. But those are your all time classic you know, Ohio State, Michigan's, Notre Dame's, Texas, Alabama's in college football, right? Okay, USC's. And as, as that was as Indiana was as down when he took it over as any of those elite programs I've just mentioned were, except when Rick Pitino took over Kentucky after the Eddie Sutton, Sean Kemp sanctions and he had, and he had walk-ons playing. That's the most down any of those right. elite programs can probably ever be. 
And that's the closest. Indiana is the closest to that, I think, of any of those other programs have been in our lifetime. Yeah, and I was wrong. 2008 was his first year, and they were 1-17. And and, um, their one win was against Iowa. But so basically you're saying, relatively speaking, similar craters. Yes. All right. Then you may be surprised to know that Tom Crean's Big Ten record is 69 and 88. And Fran McCaffrey's Big Ten record is 60 and 59. Much better percentage-wise. Doesn't, mm-hmm. doesn't recruit at near the level that Indiana does. And in five of the past eight years, in five of Tom Crean's eight seasons, Indiana has finished seventh place or worse. Now, again, two outright first place. So if we're talking about the Iowa coaching job, that's, I think, acceptable. Agreed. I'm a, I'm of the opinion, though, that the goodwill in the minds and hearts of the Indiana basketball fans is not there for Tom Crean. And and I don't think either of us believes he's going to lose his job after this year. Although his comments following the whooping that Michigan put on him on Sunday about how this team lacks maturity unlike any team that he's ever been around. He went Steve Alford on Sunday. Yep, he, I saw he that. He was throwing yep. everybody under the bus, no pizza for you. It was a all, all Fordian um, meltdown, totally out of Alford's playbook. And the assembly hall was three-quarters full uh, for this a Sunday afternoon game, which when we grew up, that just – that wasn't possible. I think that if Indiana struggles again next year, his buyout goes to $1 million on July 1st this summer, I think he could be in trouble. I agree with you. Although I don't think there's any question. I think, if the, I think if they had not won the Big Ten outright last year, I mean, I think if they had finished in second place, he'd be in trouble this year. But they did win the Big Ten outright. Right. And I don't know that we've ever seen a school fire a coach one year removed from winning an outright Big Ten championship unless there was some off-the-field scandal, NCAA probation, et cetera. I don't know that that's ever happened. So I, but, so I do think It'd be a little like firing Frank Solich, probably. Yeah, I, I agree with you, although Solich was a lifer at Nebraska, though, as a player and assistant coach, but somewhat like that. But I think that it's uh, – I think you're right. Uh, the goodwill account is, uh, is emptied now, and I think – the card that he played after their loss today, um, that's something where your team either responds to that or they just shut it down on you the rest of the way. And we'll find out what Indiana does the rest of the way, and that will give us our answer. Uh, and, and I agree with you. I don't think there's any question he is on um, among the hottest seats in college basketball next season if they don't respond. Uh, indeed. Elsewhere around the Big Ten. Let, let's, let's do something. Let's, let's, let's pretend that um... – Big Ten basketball programs are a stock. And okay. we're going to hold buy or sell All right. each one. And we'll comment a little bit about each one. And more so, probably, let's just say, over the course of the next two years. I, I'm just pulling a number out of my head. and, and So between now and the, and the conclusion of the uh, 2019 season, is right, that what you're saying? Right, right, right. Okay. Um, Wisconsin. And, and, and I think also, when you're, when you're talking hold, buy, and sell, you, you're taking into account where the programs are at now and kind of what, you know, kind of the two or three year trajectory they've been on. So it, it's not just like, all right, um, if I'm going to, let's say Wisconsin, hypothetically, um, they've been playing at an elite level. They've been making sweet 16s and, and final fours. So that's kind of where they're at. And, you know, up until Sunday night, they were ranked seventh in the nation. 
So we'll begin there. You go first. Hold, buy, or sell on Wisconsin the next three years. Well, I believe you, you, you buy low and you sell high. I would sell. Uh, I mean, this has been an all-time run uh, for their program, the likes of which we haven't seen since they played, uh, I think it was, in one of the very first ever NCAA championship games. And they're on their second coach. And I, I just think the, the odds are greater they will not be able to sustain this than that they will be, so I would sell. Yeah, I would agree. I would sell. I'm not saying sell them out of the year NCAA bracket in two years. But, That's, you know. Yeah, I'm not, saying, I'm not saying the doldrums, but I don't think you're going to see a streak of they don't finish any lower than fourth for like 10 years or whatever right. it is now. I don't think that. Happens. Right. They're, they're going to lose Nigel Hayes uh, this offseason, and he's probably a top three, four player top five player in, in the Big Ten. And I, I love Ethan Happ and what he can do. But it'll be interesting to see if Greg Gard in his era can, you know, seamlessly navigate the ebbs and flows of graduation attrition the way that uh, the previous regime did magically there in Wisconsin. Yep. Um, Purdue, I would sell. I think that they're going to lose. I think that Swanigan has to go pro. Um, I'm not sure if Isaac Haas will also. Maybe he comes back. I still think the biggest problem for Purdue is consistency in the backcourt. And they had a good, um, a solid year last year, guard away this year. They're probably playing about the, the level I thought that they would be. I think that they're going to have a pullback, so I would sell Purdue as well. I would sell him too. I think Matt Painter was fired if he didn't get Caleb Swan again. I think he saved his job. Yep. And and you know I I have every year I have a player in going in the NCAA tournament that had, I, that that could be this year's Antonio McDice. I remember him about 15 years ago at Alabama. He was kind of an okay SEC player. Just went nuts in the NCAA tournament. Got himself picked in the lottery and had a decade plus NBA career. So there's always that guy that blows up for the NBA draft. I think it could be Biggie Swanigan. I think they're the Big Ten team that has the best chance uh, to get um, deep into the second weekend or make an outside Final Four run because of his ability to play inside and out. And a little-known thing about Purdue, you know, everybody talks about their backcourt, but they're one of the best three-point shooting teams in the Big Ten. Yeah. So, yeah. I, I, but, but, I, but to me, he, Matt Painter's job rested with signing him. Indeed. Michigan State certainly would uh, like him right about now. And he was one of the other teams. Maryland is 21-4. and four. Uh, I think they're playing better than most people thought they would be playing this year, even though their strength of schedule uh, isn't necessarily anything to write home about. But I would say this. Uh, they had a great team last year that I think uh, was disappointing once you got down the stretch and into the NCAA tournament. I think we all thought that they could do better than that last year with the talent that they had. I think I would still buy some Maryland stock. I think Mellow Trimble, I mean, he's going to be a senior. I don't think he's got a bright career in the NBA. I think if he returns next year, this is a team that could potentially compete for, you know, an Elite Eight run. They are one of the youngest teams in the Big Ten. When you talk about um, ranking amongst all other teams, Ken Pomeroy, we touched on this a couple of weeks ago briefly. Ken Pomeroy has an experience ranking on his website, and there's 351 teams in the country in Division One. Maryland ranks 319 in experience. Their average roster age is basically uh, 1.17 years, and from one to two is an average of um, sophomore 
anything less than 1.0 was an average ten, trending towards freshmen, uh, uh, a lineup dominated by freshmen. Maryland's at 1.17, which is one of the youngest numbers in all of the Big Ten. I'd buy Maryland stock. I don't think this is even debatable. It's an easy buy. I mean, look at their trend line. Last few years has been one of the best programs in the Big Ten. I mean, this is this is an easy buy. It's also a program that has a lot of basketball tradition. Uh, there's been times they've been an elite program. They're not one of those all-time blue blood programs, but they have been an elite program several times. And in and, and, and times you and I can remember, won a national championship with Gary Williams. Lefty Drizel did a very good job there. Early 70s, they broke UCLA's winning streak. So I think they're an easy buy. I don't think there's, for all the reasons you articulated. Northwestern, um, their experience rank is 179. They're actually the fourth most experienced roster in the Big Ten this year. Um, their bench minutes rank 286 out of 351. So they're a team that also leans a lot on their starters. That said, the core and their best players are still, you know, they still have eligibility. I don't think I'd add any to my Northwestern stock position or take any away from it. I think I'd hold on Northwestern. I think that they'll make the tournament this year and they'll make it again in one of the next two years. So I'm kind of a a push on Northwestern. I think this is an easy buy as well. Uh, I don't think Chris Collins, uh, John Feinstein is as connected to Duke in that program as any member of the media there is. He insists that both Wojciechowski, who's doing a decent job at Marquette right now, uh, and Chris Collins do not want the job. And Jeff Capel will be the next coach. Hmm. So I think he'll coach there for at least another couple of years. Uh, I do think an, a, another Power 5 job will come calling. But I also would not necessarily guarantee that he will walk away. I mean, listen, this is a guy that comes from a school whose campus population isn't much different than what is Northwestern's. A private small school, about 7,500 students. That's what Duke is. That's what Northwestern is. His dad spent he's, he spent most of his life growing up around Chicago. This mm-hmm. If he can get that going, I could see Northwestern. You know, it's not football. And, you know, Pat Fitzgerald did, has done a very good job there. Uh, but it's not football where, where you have you – know, uh, you, you, there's not probably enough niche players who can academically qualify in order to fill an elite school or an elite team when a school like Stanford is trying to do the same thing you're doing. But it's basketball. You only have to find two of those kids every class, not 12 of them. And so the odds are a lot greater that you establish it, you can keep it going. So to me, this is an easy buy as well. Okay. Uh, Michigan State, 15-10 and 10 this year. This is a definite uh, blip on the radar screen from what they've done. Given that, I would probably buy Michigan State stock. I, I think that they'll get hit with uh, an early entry this year that uh, kind of stinks for them. They always recruit at a high level. But you know what? It's just – uh, things things don't last forever, and I'm not saying that Michigan State Tom Izzo's run is is over. Um, I I just I don't think I'd go long on Michigan State. I'd probably I probably hold uh, at best right now. I would sell because the perception is they'll balance back, and they might. But you know, you go back to last year, the flame out against Middle Tennessee State when they were the number one pick by everybody in the country. You look at this year, they brought in the best class he's ever brought in from a recruiting ranking standpoint. And there's this notion that he recruits really well, and he does. But they don't, they don't recruit at the Duke, Kansas, Kentucky level because Tom has built his teams traditionally on experience. 
And this was the first time he truly went out and said, you know, we're going to try the one-and-done route and see if we can take this to the next level. And the reality is they don't they have almost no front court depth at all. Um, Javon Langford's a kid that I followed closely because Michigan thought they, they, they had him and he ended up going to Michigan State at the last minute. He's never really developed. Um, and, and the one kid they had, the uh, Cassius Winston, the point guard, has some good numbers, but it's clear Izzo doesn't trust him uh, because he plays the other guy, Tum Tum, way too many minutes, who is who he can trust, but is, an, is a liability on the offensive end of the floor. The one difference maker they have, the one guy no one can guard, is Miles Bridges, and he's a one and done, easily. So I'm going to sell. I don't think they'll tank, but you do kind of get the sense that we're, that. The, 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 we're much closer to the retirement of Tom Izzo than we are to him winning another NCAA tournament. Right. Michigan, 16-9 and nine this year. This is one of the clear um, decisions I have. I would sell Michigan. They are the second most experienced roster in the Big Ten. Uh, and, but again, I will say that the Big Ten has to be one of the youngest conferences in the country, and they they only uh, they rank 317 out of 351 in bench minutes, which is the second fewest bench minutes of any team in the Big Ten. And they're having a season like this. Uh, don't know if Wagner could go back overseas and play pro ball. I, I like that kid a lot. Um, I'm selling. I'm selling Michigan. Sell. Do you get anything for selling them? Uh, because they're in such a when, when, when you do a game like this, I, we're looking at it as a stock. I'm going to look at where I think I can make a profit. I don't think I can get anything out of selling Michigan right now, so I'm going to hold it. I think there's a lot of I think the the programs at a real crossroads. If I, I think I think at the very least, uh, or at the, I should say at the maximum, Beeline is going to be here until 2019. He's 64 years old. This isn't going to last much longer. Uh, and I think that next year, if Wagner returns, the Matthews kid, who's the former McDonald's All-American that got transferred in from Kentucky, him, Wilson, and Wagner, I would take that front line against any front line in the Big Ten next year. Now, in the backcourt, you don't know what they're going to do. Xavier Simpson was a big-time recruit they got this year, former Ohio Mr. Basketball. Beeline's only started trust him in the last two games, and he's been sensational off the bench against both Sparty and Indiana. So if he's ready to take over the point that's a start but they have plenty of questions there their front line though will be as good as any teams in the big 10 next year if wagner returns but that's an if he will get european offers there's no question about that he but the reason he came here is he wanted to play in the nba if he wants to play in the nba he'll wait another year if he wants to go back to euro basketball then he could be gone and i think that's a huge loss for them so i, I think at the very least michigan is saying goodbye to john beeline by the end of our time period or they've made a coaching change. Maybe Beeline coaches one more year. I just see so many question marks there. They've made huge upgrades in facilities in the arena. They're not the dilapidated Chrysler Arena we remembered as a kid. Uh, you have Nike back involved. So I think that they will go top shelf, Nike will, to make sure Michigan hires. Uh, they, they, don't have, they don't hire another Tommy Amaker type. I, I, but, but given all of that, I don't know what, how you could buy or sell because to me, I'd want to hold that stock because of its tradition. And the chances are that I could sell it later at a better rate than what I'm going to get for it right now. Yeah, I'm cutting my losses. I'm not going to write a bad position down any further. Um, Minnesota, this is a buy. This is a solid buy. 
This is a team, uh, a lot of fun to watch, very athletic. Obviously, the game against Iowa, that Iowa kind of got screwed on that, but still, um, it's that's basketball. It's what happens, even though it was a pretty bad, pretty bad call there at the end. Minnesota. 297 out of 351 as far as experience. So they're one of the younger teams in the country, one of the younger 15% um, bench minutes. Two, 200 and they rank 240 out of 351. I like the athletic makeup of their team. Just a very difficult defensive team. They're just long. They block shots well. And I got to give uh, Patino credit. I didn't think that he was going to be long for this league, but I'd be buying Minnesota stock. 100% with you on this one, too. And, you know, you and I both kind of thought he was dead man walking. But uh, the recruiting class he brought in has panned out. You mentioned defensively. They, they rate well on Ken Palm on that side of the ball when you have a young team. Um, that's not always easy to do. And I would, I would go so far as to say the three best played Big Ten basketball games in conference I've seen this year were all played at that barn in Minneapolis. Minnesota, Wisconsin, Minnesota, Maryland, and Minnesota, Iowa this week. And it's an exciting brand of basketball uh, that does include a little bit of defense. All those guys are coming back. Uh, to me, I think this is a no-brainer buy. I'm with you 100%. Iowa is next. I'm basically going down the Big Ten standings order with my uh, order of mentioning these teams. Exile Brewing Company has a couple of beers that they want you to know about. One, the Ruthie, the flagship beer available year-round, a golden lager, light, medium-bodied beer, incredibly smooth finish, their most popular beer that Exile Brewing Company makes. Let me give you a few adjectives they give. A subtle biscuit and caramel undertone, but very well-balanced. Brew with premium German malt and hops, available year-round. And some seasonal beers, the one they're featuring right now. Right now, the Sir Mokalot Stout. Again, some adjectives from Exile. Jet black in color, medium body, brewed with local cocoa from Stam, coffee malt, and chocolate malt. Robust coffee aroma, smells like a fresh pot of dark roast coffee. Rich dark chocolate finish from local cocoa. That is available through February, available on tap and in bottles throughout the entire state of Iowa. You know, what I think has been most pleasing to me, Steve, is we knew that this was going to be a rebuilding year after Iowa made three consecutive NCAA tournaments. Um, and last season, they flashed up as high as ranked third in the nation in February uh, before falling back and fading down the stretch. I've been pleased with how much fun it's been to watch this particular team, even though they're 14 and 12 and they're not going to make the NCAA tournament. If this is the new standard of rebuilding years, I feel pretty good with it. And Iowa is a stock that it's a strong buy for the next couple of years after this, because this is a team next year. I think they're back in the tournament the year after that. They could be really good by Iowa standards. But the unfortunate timing for Iowa is Northwestern's peaking in a year this year when the league is really young and the league is really down. Iowa's rebuilding at a time when the league is really young and really down, and they're going to be back on the upswing when I think the rest of the league's on an upswing. But still, nonetheless, Iowa is a strong buy. Agree. I think they're a strong buy. I think they'll contend uh, for the Big Ten title next year, actually. I, I like the makeup of their team. And what I like about is there's really nothing Iowa about the team. Now, what do I mean when I say that? Um, even Iowa teams that were good, there was a, there was a Les Jepsen. 
there's a, you know, an Aaron White. Hey, Russ Jepson okay. was first team All Big Ten his senior year, bro. I, I know, I know. But he wouldn't have been first team All Big Ten on any good team but Iowa. There's just a, you know, there's just some white bread dude who just kind of makes it because it's Iowa and fulfills every pasty stereotype. This is a highly skilled basketball team. Uh, I mean, the amount the amount of firepower, when you're putting up 80 points on a Thad Mata coach team and Peter Jock's not playing, that that's a yo, okay, to me. I mean, I, that gets my attention because even bad Ohio State teams play defense. And I think they're highly skilled. Um, I, I think they, they bring several, a lot of complementary pieces. Uh, I mean, I, I think Bohannon does maybe have a little bit of that Iowa white bread factor, but he's a dog, man. I mean, he just he just doesn't care. And, and he's got he just has uh, a Nunya business factor that he, his game, even though he looks white bread, his his his, his attitude out there is kind of street. And I think people feed off of that. You've got a catch and shoot guy. You've got a future pro. You've got a space eater. I mean, you've got all of the pieces there. The question is, going always was, what are they going to do with the point? Well, if Bohannon brings you some of that, some of that swag, well, now you've got that settled as well. So, I, I mean, I I like the makeup of that team a lot. I really do. Yeah, I I do too. I'm I'm pretty excited to get there. Obviously. Uh going to go through football season i'm actually obviously very intrigued by that as well but uh by the way mr Je- your point is valid i'm nitpicking on les jepson okay um he was a first round nba draft pick do you remember that i do yeah okay um, yeah i remember a big tall white guy throwing bounce pass at the top of the key <laughs> from 25 feet That's what I remember. 15 and 10 his senior year um penn state another strong buy this team um oh by the way on iowa Iowa ranks 344 out of 351. They're the seventh youngest team in the country. Their average roster age is 0.9, which means younger than a a full freshman or sophomore. And their bench minutes rank sixth in the country. Sixth in the country in bench minutes. Michigan State, by the way, ranked number one in bench minutes. Penn State, their rank as far as inexperience, they're 332 out of 351 so they're 19th least experienced team in the country and and they've done some work on the recruiting trails this last year penn state is a strong buy i'm gonna go the other way on this i I think i i I know they had a good class come in outside of one game they played which wasn't even in their own arena it was at the palestra when they beat sparty and miles bridges was hurt and that's when Sparty was really probably at his lowest of the low of the season. I just don't see it. I mean, you mentioned how young this league is, and I know they're right around 500, but I've not seen a flashing moment out of them that makes me think that um, they're going to take the next step as a program. And to me, you said something a minute ago with Iowa, you know, well, you know, Iowa's going to, the rest of this league's kind of going to get more, with a few exceptions. Uh, and, and, you know, kind of the timing doesn't work because they're going to get better right. when everybody else does. I, to me, Penn State, given their lack of tradition, fan support, resources when it comes to basketball success, I think they have to be much more concerned about that than Iowa does. And I, I, so I just I don't see it. I mean, this was a year that I thought that they could have given all the issues within the league. 
this was a year that I thought they could have they could have maybe stolen a few more games than they have. I, I just I I I think another coach is going to probably get the potential out of those recruits. Gotcha. Um, Indiana, we talked about them earlier, 307th out of 351 in experience. Bench minutes, 66 out of 351. So this is a young team. OG Ananobi, you know, he was injured back on January the 18th. They did have five losses before then, including a neutral court to Fort Wayne and a home loss uh, against Nebraska. So they, they were coming off the tracks after being ranked as high as three early on this season. Um, Blackman is a senior. I actually think Blackman is addition by subtraction. He's always been a chemistry misfit. Within but we that. saw that last year when he went out and that that yep. Yogi Ferrell just took over the whole backcourt and they were almost unbeatable in the Big Ten when that happened. Yep, indeed. So they do have a lot of talent, um, but I am probably I'm probably holding on them. Uh, you know, probably you know it might actually be a good time to buy. It, it, coming off of a season as bad as this one is, um, I just given all that we've talked about with Crean and, and the lack of goodwill that I think exists there for him, uh, I'm going to hold on Indiana. Well, you know, Indiana fans would like to see them get rid of him now, because his mo has been when he's on the hot seat, win a Big Ten championship. Right. He's done that twice now. You know, just did that last year as we talked about. I'm going to hold too. I think their situation's similar to Michigan's. I think their programs, on a, even though Michigan has beaten them twice now this year, and both times by double digits, but I think their recent trajectory has been on a different, a, 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 maybe a, run, a ring above the ladder than Michigan's. But I think they're another big name program who, who we don't know what it's going to look like two years from now. You mentioned Blackman's a senior. I think Obi, if he's healthy, will go pro. Uh, I think I think Bryant will go pro. You know, so now they can replenish guys quicker. I mean, if I'm those Indiana guys, I look at Yogi Ferrell goes from a 10-day contract, has one great game, and gets a two-year deal for like $10 million, I'm going pro. Okay? So um, I, I think that – I think, you know, who, who who's the coach? Do those players get replenished? But uh, that's a stock that, you know, it's a little bit like – Indiana's like buying Boardwalk on Monopoly. Once you buy it, you just hold on to it, even if and, – and you put a hotel or two on it, because even if you can only get everybody else to land on that spot once, it does them in. And, and, and so when you get a stock that's valuable, when it's underperforming, you hold it. And, and to wait until you can sell it for what it's worth or it comes through. And I think you do that for Michigan. And so I definitely think you do that for Indiana, which is a program that's a little bit above Michigan's right now. Ohio State's next. Thad Mata, I went and looked at his career mark at Ohio State before we did this, he's 143 and 67 in Big Ten play. I mean, he has he's done, done a terrific job. Yeah, he's yeah. done a remarkable job. Probably of our lifetime, the best Ohio State basketball coach um, of our lifetime. I, I would. I don't think it's even close. Yeah. Um, I mean, Jim O'Brien did a decent job there. Um, uh, Randy, what's his face? Who took over Gary uh, Williams and put a won a was was had Jim, Jimmy Jackson won a couple. So of Randy Myers. Titles. I can't remember his name, but he went up, took him on probation. Well, Gary Gary Williams back in the mid '80s, right? No, Gary Williams was there in the late '80s. No, and then D- his, Dennis his Hops- old assistant Rand, was it Randy Ayers? Randy Ayers. Yeah, Randy Ayers, the black was, was the first black coach there, and was a Gary Williams assistant. Took over for Gary when Gary took the Maryland job in the in the in the late '80s. Yeah, uh, and uh, and Randy Ayers recruited Jim Jackson, and they had Chris Jepson and those guys won a couple big 10 titles back to back 
got to an elite eight, lost to the Fab Five in a regional final. Uh, but but they've not. Ha- I mean, he's had the most prolonged success of any ba- Ohio State basketball coach probably since you know they were the dominant program in the country in the early '60s when they had Jerry Lucas and Bob Knight play for him. Right, right. They th- this. This has not been a good year for them. Um, you know, I saw somebody tweet at me today that Thad Mata's had some health issues and things of that yep. nature. Um, I, I would probably hold here as well. Even as successful as he's been, and this year's a dip year, you think the odds would say they'd get back because they recruit well. But I, I don't know. Something just doesn't feel right. Maybe, maybe it's a blip, but I wouldn't add any more to my Ohio State position. I would sell. Um, I, I don't think that uh, they have they, – they, I would say even though their program in recent years has been on a higher trajectory uh, than Michigan, if Michigan's program is, is, is better this year but historically is a rung beneath Indiana's, Ohio State's program may have been better the last five or six years, but historically they're a rung below Michigan's. And, and I, there just hasn't been anybody that in 30 years. 40 years it's been able to have a, as good a record there as, as at Ohio State as that Mata has. Michigan's had several coaches do that. Indiana's had even more. Uh, I, so I don't think it's a guarantee they go get another coach that can that can sustain that either. So uh, and, and there's plenty of talent that the state of Ohio produces. But again, you know, other teams don't have to steal. It's not like football where you got to figure out how do I steal five or six guys from Ohio every year if you're michigan or michigan state you just got to steal one or two and you can be right there so i'm going to sell because this is by far the most consistent success we've seen them have in our lifetimes under him and i don't know what's going to come after he he steps aside right uh nebraska's next i like tim miles but i'm liquidating my position i've i've let it ride long enough they are also a middle-of-the-pack youngish team in the Big Ten, but everybody else is as well. I'm selling the basketball. Yeah, I just don't know what their niche is. Uh, and I think they're, they have to have a niche. You know, and, and, you know, they're in sort of a no-man's land that Wisconsin was in in our league for a long time. With a, you know, and, and, and Wisconsin found its niche with Dick Bennett, and Bo Ryan kind of took that to the next level. They're going to have to find – Something like that. They're they're just they're just not going to be able to athlete up against Big Ten teams consistently. They're they're going to have to figure out some kind of system uh, system niche that takes them to the next level as a basketball program. Yeah. I would sell too. Illinois fourteen and twelve, four and nine in Big Ten play. Um, I put a lot of chips in and buy Illinois stock because I think John Gross will be fired after this season, um, and this is a program that should never be this poor as they are and as they actually have been the last few years. You know, they were snake bitten last year in the last couple of years by injuries, but um, I don't think Gross survives this. I don't think that he should, and I'm buying just on a, on, a, on a whim on who the next guy is when I look at Illinois historically, the type of athletes that that state produces. I did have a friend tell me today, though, because I, I talked about you know Illinois choosing to hire Gross and some of the backlash that caused in the Chicago Public League because Gross's skin color wasn't black. And how there was backlash when Illinois chose to go with Bruce Weber and instead of, you know, longtime Lou Henson assistant Jimmy Collins several years ago for similar reasons. They felt that, you know, Jimmy paid his dues. 
And so there, I wouldn't say there's been a Chicago Public League boycott of Illinois, but they haven't certainly welcomed them with open arms the way that they once did. And my friend pointed out that there just isn't any loyalty or tie to Illinois outside of Chicago. You have stronger ties to the University of Illinois in quote-unquote downstate Illinois. And for anybody who's ever lived there or does, you know that downstate Illinois means anything other than Chicago. So it's an interesting thought. Still, there's enough talent that they should be a lot better than this. So I'm buying Illinois stock. I think you make a smart read here. In fact, I think if, as I was kind of surveying this, I was listening to share that anecdote from your friend. Um, you can make a case. This could be the most attractive Power 5 job open. Uh, when you go through the other Power 5 conferences and you look at, unless somebody leaves early for the NBA, when you look at jobs with coaches that we think are on the hot seat right now, tell me where you have more money. You got all that Big Ten money, a school that has a lot of basketball tradition, has a great local recruiting base, um, and it looks like the timing of gross melting down, if you're going to have to fire a coach, doing it now, when it, when, it, when, when it looks like Michigan, Indiana, and Ohio State's coaches might be at the end of their reigns, but, but they're not bad enough yet that they're going to kick them to the curb. So you, kinda, you, get to, you get to suck all the oxygen out of that room. You have an ambitious new AD there who just went out and paid huge money for Lovey Smith. So this is a guy that's got some delusions of grandeur. He's got Big Ten Network money to spend. If, if this is not the most attractive job that we can say right now in the Power Five will be open, it is certainly one of them. I think it will draw quite a crowd of capable coaches. So I would definitely buy. You, you mentioned something that rung a bell with me as far as most attractive jobs or, or one of them. And I remembered back to the search that ultimately led Illinois to higher, to higher gross. And I remembered that Shaka Smart didn't take that job when he was at Virginia Commonwealth. I remember Brad Stevens didn't take that job when he was at Butler. And, and I Googled that while you were talking just to confirm that my memory was right on that and it was correct. And this article I was reading in, from the Chicago Tribune mentioned uh, Jimmy Collins and, and, and that whole thing as well. So I, I don't know. It, it's, it doesn't make sense to me because on the surface, just from the tools, the talent, the resources, I agree with everything you said. It's just that four years different ago. Different AD now. You have a different AD now than, than you had back then. And the two coaches you just mentioned, one of them's coaching the NBA All-Star game for the Eastern Conference. The other one's at Texas. You know, so you can't really say people pooped on your school when one of them's at Texas and the other's with the arguably the most tradition-rich team in the history of pro basketball. Yeah, I just can't, I can't believe that Brad Stevens was just biding his time waiting for the Celtics to call. No, but Brad Stevens also had a team that was in back-to-back Final Fours. Right. You know, he had his pick of the litter at that point, too. And remember how troubled that athletic department was. I mean, we, we just came out of an era where they had interim an interim president, an interim AD, and an interim football coach. Okay? So this has been perhaps the most dysfunctional athletic department yeah. in this conference Maybe there were, yeah. for several years now. Maybe there were some things beneath the surface. Last thing, last team is Rutgers. You know what? I, I got a few bucks left over. Um, you know, I don't mind buying a penny stock here and there. I'll, I'll buy Rutgers just because they can't get any worse. Yeah, if I own them, I guess I would hold it because, you know, who's really going to buy Baltic Avenue, right? You know, so. If you own them already, you need to fire your advisor. <laughs> well, <laughs> that's, that's probably true. 
So I don't know. That's a school where you just wonder, with all the players they have around them, why can't they fall down and at least be 500? You know, but they really, it's funny when, when, you know, the Big Ten Network tried to throw them a bone and give them their own, you know, Big Ten Elite special. And it was from the year they went to the Final Four in 1976, you know, when they were in a totally different conference 40 years ago. So I, I don't know. I'm selling it. Yeah. I wouldn't want it in my conference. Yeah. Hey, last basketball note. You mentioned this before we came on the air, and I thought it would be, you know, we don't oftentimes talk about women's basketball in this, but you and I have often said when we've shared airtime, excellence is excellence in sports, regardless of what it is, who it is, or where it is. And the UConn women's basketball program is on the precipice of doing something that they've been doing amazing things. But until you told me these things in totality, I guess I hadn't paid attention. And it's pretty remarkable. Hey, before we do that, I promised I was going to bring up a couple of things from Ken Palm. Can I do that really quick? Yes. When if 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 we've got any best Ken best Palm. women's basketball segue I've ever done and you <laughs> pissed all over it. If you if we've got any Ken Palm, I just didn't want to forget this. If we have any Ken Palm subscribers on here, go to the adjusted defense um, tab on his uh, on his graphic. Click on that graphic, and then I want you to go down and count off the first the first sixteen teams. And even if they look odd, even if it doesn't look like they they could be that good. Draw a line right there and do that the next four weeks between now and Selection Sunday. The first how many teams? The first 16 teams okay. on their adjusted defensive graph. Because in the last 10 years, no team, or I should say in the last 10 years, the average rank of, the, of a team in the Final Four in Ken Palm's adjusted defensive rankings is 16th. Hmm. That's 40 Final Four teams. In fact, there are only two Final Four teams that had a defensive rank outside of his top 50 to make the Final Four, and one of them was VCU, who was a pressing team, so that doesn't really count. Also, there hasn't been a single team win the national championship that was not in the top 10 of his adjusted defensive rankings over the last 10 hmm. years. Well, Also, one more thing. You, you mentioned Iowa didn't get in one year when they were 29th in the Ken Palm ratings in the NCAA tournament. Yes. In the last 10 years... Teams in the top 30 of uh, the Ken Palm ratings at the end of the ra- at the end of the uh, conference championship week, 93% of those teams that did not that weren't on NCAA probation, like SMU was last year, 93% of those teams not on probation were in the NCAA tournament. One of the few exceptions over the last 10 years is Iowa. Okay, but if you're in that top 30 overall of Pomeroy's rankings. 93% chance if you're not on probation, right? you're going to be in the NSA tournament. So those are a couple of nuggets that I dug up playing around with, uh, with, his, with, his, with his metrics this week. Now, on to UConn women's basketball, because you, you're sitting on some stats here. Yeah, this is really amazing. You know, I'm not going to make an argument that they could beat Iowa's uh, AAU team. I've done that. I still get people emailing me about that every now and then. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, this is Gino Oriema, UConn's coach, is on his fourth winning streak now greater than John Wooden's legendary 88-game winning streak at UCLA. That's this is incredible. the fourth one. If they beat sixth-ranked South Carolina on Monday, they will be the first team in NCAA history to have a 100-game winning streak in any sport. Nobody's done it in any sport. Hmm. 
And in this current 99-game streak they have, check this out, 27 of their wins. So I'm one out of every four of them. More say, I'd say it's them. really close to 27% even. Yes, indeed. Uh, 27 of those wins came against ranked teams. And, John, they won those games by an average of 23 points per game. That's, in, that's incredible. That is absolutely incredible. It is, it is one of the greatest streaks of dominance we have ever seen in American team sport, in any sport. When you look at it within the context of its own sport, which is all you can do, mm-hmm. and you look at the distance between the best and the field, it's probably may exceed, I'm, I'm going to get sacrilegious here, it may exceed Dan Gable and Iowa wrestling. Mm-hmm. It exceeds North Carolina uh, women's soccer. It exceeds John Wooden and UCLA football or UCLA basketball. And it, and it exceeds, I mean, it's, it's maybe exceeds Nick Saban and the current yeah, Alabama run that we're going through. Yeah, I mean, think about it this way. We've had, what now, 18 all-time college football playoff rankings. Alabama's never been lower than sixth. Um, and, and so I think their current run is the greatest run we've seen ever in college football history. Yes. If it doesn't exceed those, it is on that playing field. And keep this in mind, too. Illinois, or I'm sorry, uh, I got Illinois in the brain. We were just talking about them. Uh, UConn women's team, they weren't even the number one team preseason. Notre Dame ones. Yeah, that's so heck of a run. Is, so so they're, they're exceeding expectations. <laughs> a team that historically dominant is is better than this year than they were forecasted to be. And next week we will uh, talk about the upcoming season of the WNBA uh, and give you our over-unders. <laughs> so stay tuned for that. Uh, for Steve, I'm John. We'll talk to you soon.